Sometimes, places are not where they appear to be. People are not always the same person you think they are. And sometimes, dreams walk amongst us. You are a simple folk living in a time of great moral upheaval. The grasp of Satan's darkness is all around you. There cast a shadow beyond all things God shines his light upon. So know that when you are struck by heaven's scenic beauty, there is a black shadow beyond it, lurking, waiting for you to fall in. There are four kinds of people in the world. Protectors, destroyers, innocents, and interlopers. Look deep inside yourselves, people of Astoria. Which heart belongs to you? Which kind would judge me? On a rain-soaked February afternoon in 1937, the steamship Cascades docks in Astoria, Oregon. 21-year-old Trenton Abernathy DeWalt busily oversees the offloading of two tons of radio equipment and scientific instruments. A young scientist dispatched to this raw and wild American outpost as a newly minted government worker tasked by the Council of Historic Anomalies and Obscure Sciences to investigate the unexplained phenomena occurring in the region. Mr. DeWalt, Mr. DeWalt. Mr. Gustafson, is that you? Yes, at last, face to face. The cargo secured, I trust? God only knows, but we'll see soon enough. And you, the device, is it here yet? Operational testing? Yes, it's here, nearly ready for testing. Nearly? How long, we, we must- We, you good sir. You must see to getting your cargo to the lab and getting it set up as soon as possible. The core decoder can wait. We need your radio gear sooner than we anticipated. Claire McBride agreed to the interview. McBride? This is excellent news, Anderson. Excellent news. Mr. DeWalt, sir. Your cargo is awaiting transport now, as soon as the manifest is signed. Thank you. Are you aware of the location? Of course. Mr. Gustafson made all the arrangements. Well then, Mr. Gustafson, let us begin this journey. Recording levels, check, check, Anderson. This sound good? Yes, roger that. All good here. Okay, today is February 23rd. 
1937. This is file A0001. I am speaking with Clara McBride of Only Oregon. Mrs. McBride, would you kindly spell your last name for me? M-C-B-R-I-D-E. And your first name? C-L-A-R-A. Thank you. Mrs. McBride, would you mind if I call you Clara? No, not at all. I prefer a less formal approach to our interview. Yes, that's fine. Now, Clara, please correct me if I am wrong, but you did not witness the event of 1895. Well, that would have proven quite difficult since... Yes, since you were not born. Until 1903. (laughs) Of course. Only a formality, you see, for establishing timelines. I understand. Now, Clara, you were told of the event that took place in 1895 by your father? Correct, my father. Specifically, the date was? June 8th, 1895. Yes, I see. By the notes Anderson compiled for me. I'm sorry, my assistant you previously spoke with. Mr. Gustafson. Anderson Gustafson. Sorry, I tend to veer from formality. Oh, that's fine, really, and he is a very pleasant man. I was so surprised when he contacted me about all this. I really had buried it over the years. Well, Clara... We do appreciate your willingness to help us with our research. Mr. DeWalt, I have for so long kept this buried deep in my soul. I appreciate someone being interested in what happened, without prejudice or scorn. Your father is Daniel. Daniel Evans. And his friend is? Newt Sorensen. Your father has passed Clara, correct? Yes, may he rest in peace. And may Mr. Sorensen find peace someday, that poor man... Clara, from what we know already, your father never publicly substantiated Newt Sorensen's claims of what they witnessed that day. That's right. Never once did he speak outside the home about that day. So much pain, that incident changed them forever. But did you ever hear your father say it was true? Newt's claims? It must have been true, for it terrified my father so. Terrified? Absolutely. His dreams were forever haunted by that meadow. He talked aloud in his sleep, the anguish he must have experienced. When I was young, oh, Mr. DeWalt, I remember those nights, his howling, the screaming. I would pull the covers over my head to try and drown it out, but I can still hear him today. He carried so much guilt for not supporting his best friend, but he couldn't do it. He didn't want the town folk taunting him like they did Newt. Newt, the sheep boy, they said, up and down the coast. He didn't want that. But your father eventually confided in you. That is true, just prior to his death. (sighs) He pulled me close and he told the whole story. It was contrition. He had to free his soul. He was so trapped. Clara, I know this is difficult, but when you're ready, of course, I really want to hear about that day in the... Meadow. The meadow that changed everything. They were best friends for as long as anyone could remember. Their chores for the day finished. They headed for the meadow with the bat and ball. And Dad's new glove that he never got a chance to use lost it that day. Along the way, they heard a sound in the distance. Like a horn, but not anything they could put their finger on. Elephants. That's what Newt called it. Last time? Last time? 
Shoot, if it wasn't for the darn molehill, I'd hit that ball to the ocean. In your dreams, Danny boy. In your... What? What's that sound? Huh? I don't hear... Shh, listen. That. What's that? What? I don't know, Newt. We should... Come on, let, let's go see. I don't know. We should go. We should get home. I don't like this. No, come on. It's in the meadow. I think that's where it's coming from. Let's run. Please, Newt. Let's go home. I don't like... Don't be a baby. It's over the ridge. I gotta see. Daddy knew better in his gut. He knew this was not a good idea. But boys are boys, and he didn't want to be chicken. So he followed Newt over the ridge into the meadow. And there it was. The massive sheep. Hundreds. Hundreds. Danny, over here! Come on! Look! Look! Wait! Wait, Newt! Let's go! Let's go home! Whoa! What? Danny, look! Do you see this? There before them was a very large gathering of sheep herded together, forming a large circle. The circle of sheep started to rise into the air, spinning backwards. Golden light rained down on the floating sheep. The horn sounds turning into the sounds of a heavenly choir. Daddy was terrified and frozen in fear, but Newt was awestruck by the sight and ran towards the circle. Newt! Newt! Stop! I don't want to be here! Please, let's go! It's so beautiful! Look, Daniel! 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 Don't go! Stay! Stay! We have to stay! They want us to stay! Newt! No! I'm going home! Now! I'm afraid! This is bad, Newt! I'm going home! Stay if you want! Daddy ran home as fast as his legs would carry him. He burst into the house screaming about Newt in the meadow. At first, my grandparents thought animals attacked and got Newt, but after calming down Daddy, he told them the story of the horns and the sheep. Grandpa gave Daddy the back of his hand because he thought Daddy was fibbing. The Sorens came calling because Newt never came home. Daniel led the way as the man set out to find Newt. When they arrived in the meadow, they searched around by lamplight and found Newt asleep in the field, naked as the day he was born. When they stirred Newt, he began telling of what he saw. This angered and embarrassed Newt's father tremendously, and it was declared right then and there that they would never speak of that night again. Well, that worked well enough for Daddy, but not poor Newt. He couldn't come to terms with what he saw. What they saw. Mr. DeWalt, might I ask you a question? Yes, of course. You and Mr. Gustafson, you are here because you know what they encountered that day, don't you? Not yet, Clara, but that's what we hope to find out. You'll want to speak to Mr. Sorensen now, right? That is our hope, but locating him has proved... He is a recluse, lives in near isolation near Saddle Mountain. I know he is not a fan of coming into town. My cousin Ruth, she is his closest neighbor. I think she could get him to talk to you. He needs to be heard, Mr. DeWalt. My family owes it to him. Thank you, Mrs. McBride. Thank you so very much. Anderson, this will conclude our interview. It is the 1st of June, 1916. 39-year-old Newt Sorensen is serving another 90 days in jail for an assault charge. His throat, hoarse from hours of yelling and hollering for the guard, 
but his pleas are ignored. Guard! Guard! You have to listen to me! Please! I need to talk to the chaplain! It's important! You have to listen to me! Please! Why won't you listen to me? Please! Damn you! Something bad's gonna happen! I just know it! You have to get to the church! We don't have time! Please! Shut the hell up, you damn nut! You gotta listen to me! It's gonna be bad! In Melville! Again! That meadow! Ain't no one wanna hear about your old sheep tales again! Newt, you're a fool! Ain't no doubts about it! Now shut the hell up, or I'll put a whooping on you! You'll see who the fool is! Twelve-year-old Marcia Adair and her fourteen-year-old sister Estelle were anxious to get home from school as they ran through the woods that spring day in 1916. Excused early from school so they could ready their pigs for the fair, the two sisters were now racing to the end of the tree line, the vast meadow ahead. You might get me in the woods, but you'll never catch me in the meadow. I'll get you. You're too slow, little sister. I'll get you. You'll see. Next time. Estelle had 20 yards on her sister within seconds of entering the meadow. At that instant, the sky was filled with the sound of thunder and a great burst of white light. The meadow had become a lake, engulfing both girls in a violent mass of water. The girls screaming in panic, frantically trying to keep their heads above water. Marsha! Where are you? What's happening? Help! Estelle! Help me! I can't breathe! Help! Martha's clothes had become waterlogged and were hampering her ability to keep her head above water. Estelle! Estelle! She could see Estelle floating on her back ahead of her. Suddenly, Estelle's body began to rise out of the water. Marsha, help me! They're taking me! Pirates! Help! No! Estelle! Martha screamed to her sister to no avail. When Estelle's body rose to 50 feet in the air, another clap of thunder struck. Again, the sky flashed of white light, and Marsha found herself lying in a dry meadow. No sign of water except for the fact she was soaking wet. Even more significant, no sign of Estelle. Martha struggled to her feet and made her way home as quickly as she could. Mama! She's gone! They took her! The pirates took her! Marcia, girl, calm down! What has gotten into you? You're soaking wet! What's going on in here? Why is her school clothes all wet? Where is your sister? Oh, Pa! I don't know. We were running in the meadow. Then we were in the ocean. I tried real hard to swim. Marcia, where is Estelle? Where were you? Why are you soaking wet? Mama, she's gone. She floated away. Mama, she floated away. What? Marcia, there's no lake out there. Now tell Mama what happened. Why are you wet? No lying now. And where is Estelle? Oh, Mama, I don't know. We were running, that's all. Running in the meadow, and then we were in water. Pirates. They took her away. Look on the boat. She's on the... Marsha! Oh, Pa, help me move her onto the couch. I'm getting the boys. We're going to the meadow, and we're going to find our girl. And to the meadow they went, Mr. Adair, his two older sons, and the farmhand Russell. The meadow was an easier run than wasting time hitching horses to the wagon. The men searched the whole afternoon, well into dark, but they could find no signs of Estelle, nor any sign of water. 
the ground moist but dry as no rain fell in days. The following weeks would pass and no signs of Estelle Adair were found. The family began to lose hope of finding their daughter, and Marcia suffered in a catatonic state, only occasionally muttering a cryptic phrase. I could feel the ship, but I couldn't see it. I felt the pirates, too. They took her out of the water. After three months, Marcia succumbed to her ordeal and passed in her sleep. Never did she say more than that phrase and never above a whisper. The family decided to hold two funerals. They laid their daughters to rest and left the area never to be heard from again. Anderson, level, check, one, one, hello, hello, check, good, all right then, let's begin. It's March 25th, 1937. This recording is file A0002. I am speaking with Mr. Newt Sorensen. Mr. Sorensen, I am so glad to make your acquaintance. I thank you for your time today. Would you mind spelling your last- Yeah, I mind, God. Damn it. Let's get going with this, DeWalt. I ain't much happy being in Astoria. Let's move along. Well, uh, yes, we, uh, well, that's very well then. I, I suppose I should tell you that you are grateful that Miss McBride was able to facilitate this meeting. She was adamant about getting your story out. I don't give a rat's ass about that McBride, bitch. And I ain't here because of that pestering cousin of hers, neither. I am here just as you expect me to be. Because this voice in your dreams foretold it. You always knew. You just don't know why. I know about you, Trendon. Mr. Sorison. Newt, please, let's establish a few things. Establish shit, Trendon. Don't you patronize me with that tone. I say you hear because that woman's voice you hear in your head. It's in my head, too. But I got her figured out. And you're still scratching your head wondering. Don't you get it? You still think it's an accident you and your sidekick are out here? Do you really know what you're doing out here? That voice? DeWalt. That voice directs the show. She saved my life since she set me straight about that meadow. My foolishness, my adolescence consumed me. Made me think about I saw some God-gifted miracle, and all I got was a life of torment. Newt, perhaps we should take a minute and gather ourselves so we can- Hide? Hide away from the truth? Just admit it. You know what I'm speaking about. God damn it. I thought you were here because you know what happened. But I guess I have you figured all wrong. Trenton? Trenton. Shall we pause? Take a break? Yes, that's, that's, that would be, new. perhaps we should take a few minutes. Take all the damn time you ladies need. Now where's that whiskey bottle hiding? In the kitchen, top cupboard. There's glasses Don't in the- Don't need one. I'm fine with the bottle. What's going on, Trenton? What is Newt going on about? All this crazy talk of voices? A woman? Is this man deranged, Trenton? Shh. All is okay. Trust me, Anderson. I will explain all soon enough. We just need Newt to cooperate just a bit more. We need him at the meadow, Anderson. We need him to take us. Sorry to break up your chat, ladies, but I ain't fixing to drink this alone. If you do want my help, I best see the ass end of this bottle pointing skyward. Drink up, boys. 
Can't much trust a man who won't share a bottle. Course, Newt. Where are our manners? Now I need a drink. That's the spirit, Anderson. A little hooch gonna loosen you up. I got a feeling you're gonna need it when we go out to that meadow come June. You'll go? You, you know of? The date will be June 8th. <laughs> you two don't think I know why you picked this year to come here? Jesus, you two just fall off the turnip truck. I expect you're smarter than this. Hell, I read up about Mr. Anderson and that madman Tesla. Mr. Tesla to you, sir, and a noble genius at that. <laughs> Keep him on a leash, DeWalt. All right, all right, that is really enough. Please, let's all calm down. Mr. Sorison. I appreciate you taking the time to come see us, and I'm very appreciative of your desire to help see this through. We will be in touch prior to June to make our plans. Yeah, yeah, I'm leaving. We'll see how prepared you two actually are when we go into that meadow. We will see. And Mr. DeWalt, you best pay attention to her this time. The tape. We never stopped recording. I can edit it out. No, leave it all. It will all be a part of the record someday. Anderson, the core decoder will be... Ready. Yes, Trenton. It will be ready for the meadow. <laughs>